All right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of OK. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Uh, I'm your uh, host, uh, Dave Yost. I really, really hate that that rhymes. In the background, you can hear my cat, uh, Vice, who just really wants to be on the show or get attention or something. You'll probably be hearing her through most of this episode because uh, I can't get her to go away. Uh, and I am here with my guest. Hi, um, I'm happy to be here. My name's Mari Stichura. Um, I am, I guess, a newly interested in economics. I started out my career as a reporter and journalist, and I have witnessed firsthand how um, not well-versed a lot of people tend to be in economics, and that's kind of what led me to looking into it and learning a lot more myself. So. Hopefully we can help. <laughs> and uh, Marier uh, went to DePaul with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners may be noticing a pattern in that my <laughs> early guests are all uh, fellow students from DePaul. Uh, these are the people whose phone numbers I have. <laughs> Plus, the, the, the people in my program were pretty smart. So uh, it's a good resource to tap into. So today, we are going to be talking about the Federal Reserve. Yes. A, a favorite topic of uh, misunderstandings in <laughs> economics. So, as Mari knows, in you know, in the lead up for this, I, I, I had to do my my research on the uh, anti Fed organizations, and as I was telling her, uh, that is time I'm never going to get back. <laughs> uh, there are some. Let me tell you. There's some interesting people out there with some very interesting ideas about monetary policy that. Uh, yeah, really don't seem to understand what it is they're talking mm-hmm. about. And and like most topics on this show, it's not a, a partisan matter. Uh, the left doesn't seem to know anything about the Fed or monetary policy, uh, just right along with the right that also doesn't seem to know anything about it. So that's why... You know, we're we're gonna we're doing this topic and gonna be uh, uh, talking about the the economics of a central bank like the Fed, why it's important, uh, what what benefits it actually has to uh, the country and the economy, and uh, some of the misconceptions surrounding it. So I guess you know, Mari, in your opinion, because uh, mm-hmm. I know you read some of this mm-hmm. stuff too. Why do you think the Fed is misunderstood? Why, why, why do you think it's this like impenetrable, secretive, or seen as this mm-hmm. impenetrable, secretive right. organization when uh, you and I know it's really not that secretive? Yeah, I think um, in recent history, I would say that it being a bank, a lot of people have this perception that it's almost the same as Wall Street or mm. very closely linked to... Um, you know, investment banks and things like that. And then, of course, with the Great Recession and kind of the bailout, and a lot of people seem to think the Fed was a co-conspirator kind of in that <laughs> event. And I, it, that's not the case at all. Um, no, they, they, they actually... <laughs> they, they rescued us all. <laughs> yeah, they, they bailed us out. Uh, they, they pulled us out of the fire on that yeah, one. They bailed all of us out for the good of the economy. And there tends to be this perception that I encounter, at least, that people say they bailed just the banks out. And um, which, to some extent, is true, but it was for the sake of the greater good which is not a concept a lot of people tend to believe in anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
No, so yeah, because I, I mean, and you brought it up there that like in in watching going through the the various uh, documentaries and videos that show up on the end the Fed website, which we'll be referencing a lot. <laughs> um, whenever there and 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 again, this is a podcast, so for whatever it's worth, I'm doing finger quotes around this word. <laughs> whenever they're explaining, I them. <laughs> explaining how the you know u.s monetary policy system works they always talk about that the government handed control over to the banks or a Mm -hmm. a private bank which yes technically the federal reserve is a private bank but Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it yeah the, the the difference between you know a again first midwest location you know Mm -hmm. local bank and a nation's central bank uh, are massive. Yes. And so I, I think, you know, the reason they do that is a rhetorical trick to mm-hmm. get people to associate the Fed with the banks. Definitely. Which almost brought down our economy. And, right. And that's, that's, like I say, that's, it's tricky of them to do that and not really effective to, to understanding what, how the system works right and the idea of a central bank is to have an institution in place to intervene in crisis type situations so that we don't have the banks (laughs) i use air quotes there um (laughs) running unregulated and kind of out for their own sake as any business is looking out for their best interests and we need central bank to look out for the interests of the economy as a whole and try to intervene before we have these bubbles burst and Mm. things like that well and 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 again getting to that you know the the whole reason the the fed was created uh you know they again watching these documentaries apparently uh six guys on jekyll island in 1910 got together to conspire I, I really it's feel, always a conspiracy. Oh yeah. Well, and I really feel like I, I need like creepy conspiracy <laughs> music while I'm while I'm saying this, but uh, got together to uh, I guess uh, take control of the entire U.S. economy. Uh, and Sounds about right. Well, and apparently they weren't very secretive about it because <laughs> these conspiracy videos know about it. Uh, they they know about the meeting. They know the contents of the meeting, which. Again, when, whenever you get into those those uh, shadow conspiracies like that, I'm always impressed by uh, how poorly these people keep these secrets. Plus, again, I always got to wonder, you know, if, if there is this massive conspiracy to control the economy, they're not doing a very good job of it. Uh, <laughs> That's a good yeah, point. I, I think we'd be doing a lot better <laughs> off if there were. But, uh, no, so, you know, the uh, what the conspiracy videos don't tell you is that 1907 there had been by 1907 there had been a series of you know collapses of the u.s economy Mm -hmm. a series of panics and it kind of culminated in the panic of 1907 where you saw a 50 percent drop in the valuation of the new york stock exchange which i mean Especially with the, the you can't comprehend that in yeah, today's terms. <laughs> I, you know, with the the yeah, with the current valuation, seeing that cut in half in a matter of days, 
you can't even wrap your mind around that no it's it's crazy and of course this led to bank runs which led to bank bankruptcy and surprise surprise it was caused by a decrease in market liquidity uh which was made worse by unregulated side bets which i'm sure we'll come back to at a certain point when we are talking about things that sounds something familiar yeah it's crazy (laughs) it's almost like that happened recently so it dem- you know the the 1907 panic demonstrated this need for a central bank uh, which we had had in the past and then got rid of and had again and got rid of and had never really settled yeah uh, on people it. have always been opposed to this concept which again you know for for various reasons mm-hmm. i know the early incarnations the the big push against was uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton wanted a central bank so he could right. consolidate our, uh, uh, the debt of the 13 states into a national debt. Mm-hmm. But the southern states that had already paid off their debts <laughs> hated that idea. And so it wasn't so much... I see, I see their point. Yeah. It, it wasn't so much opposition to the bank. Yeah. It's that, like, wait a minute, I paid off my debt and now you want me to pool together with the northern states that haven't paid also their Also a common yet? theme in America's history. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, but, we need everyone to band together. We're all for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so, you know, again, we 1907 demonstrated we needed something some institution to control monetary policy for the country because there wasn't mm-hmm. one you know banks basically printed their own currency um, yeah it's and difficult to have a developed country with a sophisticated economy without a centralized bank yeah. you can run into a lot of issues as we did <laughs> and, so, and so this dark conspiratorial meeting on jekyll island eventually <laughs> led to and 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 this is the other thing it's it's this broader this you know shadowy conspiracy that eventually led to an act of congress so like congress still voted on this yeah. like the people's representatives still brought this into being it's not like it was uh, you know, secreted in, you know, right. Uh, the, I know the one video like pointed out that Woodrow Wilson signed the federal reserve act on the 23rd of December after Congress had, uh, gone on recess. And it, they, they're saying that to imply that this was somehow done right. without, so no one would know except <laughs> no the, one would notice this brand new centralized bank. Well, <laughs> and except for the fact that if he signed the, the bill into law, it means that Congress had previous to the right. 23rd yes. of December proposed it, ran it through committee, debated it, voted on it. And it's just the bill itself mm-hmm. was physically signed on the 23rd after congress was in recess so again it's this like they're trying to manifest uh, a conspiracy where none really exists except a conspiracy of responsible legislators trying to create a centralized bank for us all so we 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 get the the federal reserve act uh, of 1913 uh which creates our federal reserve um one of the fun facts i think most people don't quite get is that uh, the Fed has congressional mandates. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is yeah. not left totally to, to its own device. We'll get into the, the set, why the Fed is separate in a little bit, but like the 
to to hear the the anti Fed mm-hmm. people talk about it, you would think that this this it's above the law. Oh yeah, it's completely but run by itself. It does have yeah. three. Uh, congressional objectives, uh, which are kind of funny. Uh, they're all good things, uh, but again, this to me, just looking at the congressional objectives demonstrates why there needs to be separation, because oh, a, a yeah. few of these okay. are contradictory to each other. Uh, uh, the Fed needs to push for maximum employment in the economy. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and, you know, Who you wouldn't can, want that? Yeah. Uh, stable prices. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And uh, moderating long-term interest rates. And, and that Those kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, the, yeah. Those amended in the 70s to also say uh, that uh, to moderate inflation. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into a little, con- a little bit of a contradiction. Because you can have low inflation, but your unemployment's probably going to go up when you do that or you can mm-hmm. have lo- low unemployment but the extra capital in the economy to make that happen uh, to drop unemployment that low is going to cause inflation i think that's i mean currently a hot topic right now because we've had such low inflation for so long and um or low interest rates i'm sorry such low interest rates for so long and it hasn't led to a high inflation like it did Back in what was it the late seventies? Yeah, 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 mid to late seventies. What I think a lot of people are fearful of, but we've had low unemployment, low interest rates, and relatively low inflation, which is kind of counter to what we've all been taught. <laughs> well, and 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 especially with the you know the the monetarists out there within economics, uh, the, you know the Chicago School folks, I know. Mm-hmm. Once the Fed announced that they were going to start doing quantitative easing, I think most of these guys started, you know, stocking up on canned goods because they were assuming <laughs> that the bottom was going to drop out. And again, per monetarist uh, theories and equations, it should have, right, yeah. and it didn't. And I know University of Chicago right now is scrambling to figure out w- yeah. where the flaw is in their equation. And I think some of it has to do with what they were using to calculate the money supply. Okay. Um, because, I mean, yeah, uh, during the in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, the Fed effectively quadrupled the money supply. Mm-hmm. And inflation stayed at 1.2%, 1.3%. Yeah. I think um, some people also talk about in this new era of central banking in the U.S., I guess, with the Fed the increased transparency that the fed likes to tell us what they're going to do Mm -hmm. before they do it and that that the perception has almost an equal effect as the actual policy um versus maybe days past the conspiracy theorist times (laughs) it was always you didn't know what the fed was going to do until they did it and then everyone reacted to it well, that, I mean, yeah, that, because we, we had talked about that back in the, mm-hmm. we, Mari and I both took a, a <laughs> class on the Federal Reserve yes. together, uh, but uh, that, you know, it was these these two kind of different theories within the Fed, within the, 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 the board of the Fed on, uh-huh. if you, 
in, in order to get, when you're trying to uh, affect change within the, you know, the economy, either on interest rates or, or mm-hmm. you know, money supply or whatever, the only way to, for that to happen purely where <clears throat> the thing you're doing is having the pure effect that you want it to was to keep it secret, to, to try to do mm-hmm. it so no one would notice. And, and that way you don't get people then trying to second guess, okay, well, because the Fed is yeah. doing this, I'm now going to change my behavior to, to reflect that, which means now we get unintended consequences. It's kind of the fear of a game theory yeah. situation. And, and so I think that that like had kind of laid the groundwork that because that attitude you know was predominant really mm-hmm. up until late Greenspan era. Yeah. Um, I mean, it took him a while to come around to forward guidance, mm-hmm. um, but you know, well into the the nineties, early two thousands. I think the Fed got this reputation for being very secretive, mm-hmm. and whenever anything is sort of secretive, it's very easy to start assigning malicious, mm-hmm. conspiratorial motives to everything they do, when really what they're trying to do is just prevent the market from pre-reacting to right. the changes. But, yeah, I mean, to add to that, the more you cloud things and operate secretively to keep using that word um but the more you do that it, the easier it is for people to blame you after the fact too because yeah. you never told anyone your plan so th- things go wrong they can say that was your plan the whole time and blame you for the downfall of the economy or different things when that may in fact have never been your goal yeah it won, <laughs> and and again you know finally greenspan came around and uh Bernanke was big on this idea called forward guidance, which is the Fed is now going to tell the market exactly what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're going to say they're going to do it, and then they're going to do it to establish the reputation that when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Right. Uh, and it took a while to, you know, for the, the market to ca- or the economy to catch on, but eventually they did. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're in a place where... When the Fed makes its announcements, you know, the, the market listens, the market responds. And I think the the trick is now the Fed just has to um, anticipate the reaction to the announcement and then tailor the policy, like backwards tailor the policy yeah. to go, okay, so this is where we want interest rates to be if we announce that that's where we want them to be then this will happen so then we actually need to announce that they're going to be here uh, i'm, I'm it's sure game theory yeah I'm sure there, <laughs> there's this massive meetings that they have in the lead up to any announcement where they're trying to you know go two or three levels out of of reactions and counter reactions and go okay uh, again how do we get it to wind up now, do you Where think you? this forward guidance idea has maybe helped even the Fed in that situation? Because there's somewhat, obviously, we talked, there's still active people in these conspiracy theories today. But um, there's more of a trust, I guess, among mm-hmm. the general population that the Fed is going to follow through on the things they say they're going to do versus always second guessing or thinking the fed's gonna 
turn left when they say they're going to turn right or well i mean the the there's the benefit the the kind of benefits to of forward guidance within like what what i would the the core ring Mm -hmm. of the economy so you know the fed and then you know financial institutions and and that where for them forward forward guidance is amazing because now they know The, the fed says we want to see interest rates rise by a, a quarter of a percent in mm-hmm. this you know in this year fed says they're gonna that's their goal then that's what they're gonna do and financial institutions can kind of base what they're gonna do off of that i think also if you go you know further out as far as you know be people being directly affected by the the policies mm-hmm. it is it, it breaks down that barrier of secrecy which i again was was what i think really let the conspiracy theorists (laughs) come in and start again assigning these weird motives right and and things to to the organization no one ever if the fed never laid out their plan it's easy to go back and say make up what their plan was yeah (laughs) Yeah, again the, the, the fed kept their mouth shut and the economy tank due to causes completely unrelated to the right the Federal on your Reserve. regulated markets, but, all sorts. But of now you can go, oh well, issues, the, yeah. the Fed did this. Mm-hmm. Like it, it must have been one of their tinkerings with the, the yeah, the almighty and powerful Fed. Well, and 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 getting to that, so I think really, uh, if you, if you asked most people on the street, even well-educated people, mm-hmm. what does the Fed do? Like I think most people would tell you they regulate interest rates. Well, that's it, the, that's the thing everyone likes to talk about. The 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 word I, I the only objection I have with that is I think there'd be one different uh, one word difference, and and it again speaking to the kind of uh, not people not having a full understanding. I think they'd say the Fed controls interest rates. That's a good point. And they don't. Like I, I've I've spoken to many people who talk about the Fed as if the Fed, when the Fed says we want to see interest rates go up quarter of a percent, that that's some sort of proclamation, and mm-hmm. that interest and now, it's weird because, because the Fed's good at what it does, interest rates will rise a quarter of a percent, but not because the Fed said it would, because the Fed is right. is engaged in these market operations, to get that effect like let's talk about kind of how the fed yeah. works let's backtrack because you're right the fed doesn't janet yellen doesn't get up and push a button and now interest rates are a quarter of a percent higher it doesn't work that way <laughs> and i think you're right a lot of people have that perception that in the modern day because they are so often on target that well they're and yeah. it's just that they've become good at what they right. do like they, they it's become a real science of Again, how, how many bonds do we need to, to push out or how many bonds do we mm-hmm. need to buy back in to get to where we want the or we think the interest rate needs to be at? So right. I guess, <laughs> can you give us a uh, broad explanation sure. of open market operations? So I think you gave pretty much the summary. So open market operations means that the Fed does not, in fact, just print money and throw it out into the economy as some people have a vision of. They use bonds um, to regulate 
the money supply and how much money is available in the economy. So either they use contractionary policy or expansionary policy, depending on the situation, to either sell bonds and remove money from the economy. Right? Or they purchase bonds back and they put it, yeah, money it, out into it, the economy. It, it, it sounds like it should be the opposite, right. but if you think about it, <laughs> basically the, 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 feds, the feds got cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's not really like this, but imagine the Scrooge McDuck money being <laughs> And when the the Fed wants to see you know uh, interest rates move, they can do that by by affecting how much money is right. in the economy. And so if they buy bonds from the economy, they're they're purchasing it with their with their cash. cash. Yes. And so that cash is going out, so the money supply increases. If they want to contract the amount of money in the economy, they will sell bonds mm-hmm. because you know financial institutions buy the bond with cash. Mm-hmm. The Fed takes that cash, puts it back in the Scrooge McDuck money bin, <laughs> and it stays there. So it's not circulating right. in the economy anymore. And through this, they can affect the interest rate. Uh, but again, they're not... Like I say, it's not as simple as saying the interest rate will be this percent. It's not interest rate by fiat. It's (laughs) it's not a declaration. They they still have to, and and again, this is clearly most people don't understand that it's still a market. Mm -hmm. Like it it is susceptible to market forces. It would be. That's why we call it a bank and not. Something different, even though it causes some confusion, but it is a bank and it operates like a bank. But it's a bank for banks. Yes. (laughs) Which, uh, you you know, you can't put your money in the Fed, uh, you know, but banks do. So, yeah, the the Fed can engage in these open market operations. And again, it is pure capitalism uh, because it would be a weird circumstance. But if the Fed was trying to sell bonds to um, contract the money mm-hmm. supply and no one wanted to sell bonds. No one I, wanted to buy them. Or, yeah, yeah. The Fed can't make them. Right. Like, you know, the bonds, right. the bonds are so solid that there will, there should always be a market for right. it. But if the U.S. turned into Thunderdome, <laughs> like the Fed, the Fed can't make yes. people buy or sell their bonds. They, they they have to engage in this, these markets. It's all about incentives. And again, you go to the the anti Fed people, and they're always talking about how this should be handled through capitalist market forces. And I wind up yelling at my computer screen <laughs> that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because you don't understand a topic doesn't mean oh, uh, yeah. that you know there's somehow something fishy going on. Yeah, that's uh, a very very good point. Comes up in a lot of things. So, People. so you've got the open market operating, yeah. which yeah, I think, mm-hmm. like I say, the the general influence over the interest rate is the big thing people associate with the Fed because it's the thing that gets reported on mm-hmm. TV news, uh, and it's the and of course Wolf Blitzer. You and I'm picking on CNN, here. <laughs> uh, but Wolf Blitzer usually just says the Fed has set the interest rate at right. you know. Uh, two basis points and you're like 
That wolf. It's not quite how it works. Wolf. But that's it. We're you got the gist of yeah. it. <laughs> so th- then, of course, you've got the discount window, which is another function yes. that the Fed serves, which is fourth other banks. Yep. <laughs> B- basically, the you, the Fed is uh, what's the the phrase? The lender of last resort. Yeah. So, so yeah. banks borrow from other banks uh, to cover costs. You know, enough liquidity, different things like that. To avoid having to pay certain fees sometimes. True. Uh, with the, what is it, the shadow banking? Oh. Uh, where they, 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 they need to. I don't know enough about uh, that no, Yeah, they. My apologies. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a loophole and it's, uh, yeah, a way for a bank to keep moving its some of its assets around so that they never show up on the books when it comes time to close out the books. Okay. Um, you know, you just get that money over here, mm-hmm. lo- loan it out to somebody so it's over right. here, and then have them pay it back literally the next day, and so it pops back okay. on. And uh, again, it's entirely legal, whether yeah. or not it should be topic for another episode. <laughs> uh, but no, so you've got you know sometimes banks need a loan mm-hmm. uh, to you know cover cover their payments, things like that, and usually a bank would get it from. Another bank. Another bank. Yeah. Uh, but in desperate times, and that and other bank is the Fed. Like yeah, <laughs> Mar Mari and I are very fortunate uh, to have studied economics when we did because I, I don't know how uh, people studying the subject prior to two thousand eight mm-hmm. did it without just such clear examples of some of the yes, theories. Yeah, it's a very relevant time Like oh, learn all of these things. Yes. You know, I gotta imagine 2007, some kid sitting in an econ class, like, the Fed is never gonna lend money to banks. Yeah, the when econ- would that need to happen? The economy is so strong that would never happen. <laughs> a year later, Fed's given out a lot of exactly. loans. Exactly, yeah. So basically, you know, if, if your personal bank ever gets into trouble, not you know bankruptcy, but hey, we've maybe made a few too many bad loans. To yeah, that people well enough. Uh, it could collapse, and you're out money. Or uh, what usually happens <laughs> to to no fanfare is that the Fed will lend your money back or the, no. uh, lend your bank money. Yes, so that they can continue to function, not collapse, screw you. Don't even notice. Yeah, and you you never notice. <laughs> They saved your life. All that money in that bank could have been gone. All of your money. And, you didn't even know. And I, I do want to point out that <laughs> neither Mari or I have any sort of stake in the Fed. No. We're not Fed employees. <laughs> we're not, you know, they're, 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 we're not married to Fed employees. No. There's nothing like that. We're just it, econ nerds. Yeah, it's just <laughs> when, when, when you're an economist, you really come to appreciate this this wonderful institution for what it is i'm sure i'll be listening to you know coast to coast in a few weeks and they'll be talking about you know the the fed sending out its propaganda agents uh to um you know shill for it but no no you're gonna you're either gonna believe us or not but this is genuine yeah um and so then of course the the fed also has its reserve uh required reserve policy right which also became very important in 2008. Yes. Uh, so that they don't, inks basically, so they don't overextend themselves and continually loan out money that they owe. Yeah. Is that, I mean, 
Well, that wasn't clear. But you know, again, the, the, the anti-Fed folks get into the idea of fractional banking mm-hmm. and that a, a bank can lend out more money than it has. Right. And, and I think that's one of those things that because people tend to, uh, you know, one of the most annoying things uh, during a, a political, you know, a, like a, a campaign or a, an election year mm-hmm. is at some point somebody and it doesn't matter which party it's going to be it's going to be one or both are going to make the analogy between something like the national debt and balancing your checkbook and you can't do that uh you know national macroeconomics and home economics aren't that similar right Uh, and yes it may seem like well, no, if I have to balance my checkbook by the end of every month and I can't spend money on things if I don't have that money, therefore, the government and the central bank can't do that. Or, again, right. large financial institutions can't do that. If they didn't do that, our our day-to-day lives would be drastically different. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so, yes, banks uh, lend money that they don't physically have. I guess, so, to give kind of a simplified example, like, if somebody comes to a bank and they take out a loan from the bank, the bank loans them money, and they know they're going to get these payments every month for that loan. And then, they that's what allows them to kind of loan more money than they have right now because they know how much money is coming in. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the cycle uh, right. because they have a cycle of because money. Because it's not just one loan. It's yeah. dozens and hundreds and <laughs> but, they but, count on that cash flow every month to be able to loan out additional money. But like I say, I think, you know, people have a, have, have a hard time wrapping their mind around it because if you came to mm-hmm. me for a loan and you're like, Dave, I need a hundred bucks. And I was like, great. It's yours. You're like, can I have it? I'm like, I only have five dollars in my wallet, <laughs> but I'm loaning you a hundred. Just you know, right. pay me back. That doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> like, unless I've got the hundred dollars, I can't loan it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the, you know, you will have the hundred. Yeah, the, the, the because I've got money coming in from other loans I've given out. I can, even though I may only have $5 in my wallet, I can lend that $100. And then I've got payments coming in from Mari, Mm -hmm. so I can give out other loans. And and it's complicated, but legitimate for the most Mm -hmm. part. And and the, the, where it gets tricky is the ratio to how much, because actually with $5 in my wallet, I think, think i meet the current required reserves Ooh, i think it's five percent i, I want to say that. it's five percent right now did you think about that before you gave that example i did <laughs> i did i just that it was a little I too perfect ma- just made that up <laughs> and no i think i did I, yeah it's either five or ten percent and i can't for the i should should have looked it up beforehand uh thankfully uh mari's on her iphone so um yeah, if it's five percent, that's that's just pure uh, pure kismet right there. So anyway, that yeah. Well, well, she's looking that up. Uh, I have slow thumbs. The the Federal Reserve mandates policy because if 
I don't need to have, if, if I'm a bank and I don't need to have the money in order to lend it, then really what's to stop me from lending infinitely? Just mm-hmm. approving every loan, playing the law of averages. Again, sounds on de- like deja vu. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, playing the law of averages on default rate. And we're that li- didn't happen recently, did it? We're, we're, well, and we're living in a, a, a version, I, I haven't got to... My brilliant idea with my little personal lending agency here where uh, I start giving out loans and then the debt you owe me, I start packaging it and selling it to other people. Uh, but That's capitalism at the finest. Oh, yeah. So one of the things the Fed does is they, they figure out... Um, I believe it, it's 10%. 10%. Okay. Yes. So I, I was off. It was formally 12 and then reduced to 10. Is what I've got. Oh, I think I, if we're wrong, I'm sure somebody will let us know. Well, and, <laughs> and oh, in, in, in all in all caps, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I actually, I think where I got five is that's where uh, I was reading where some people are proposing that we drop okay. it to five percent because probably there's and there's there's like everything in economics, there's pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the Fed requires that banks hold, just like the Fed itself. They certain need, amount of cash on hand. They need their own little Scrooge McDuck money bins mm-hmm. where they've got, you know, however many loans they have out, they have to have in uh, currently 10% of that in cash just in case there's a problem. In case there's a massive default or there's a, suddenly a run. They, yeah, repackaged a lot of debt and then a lot of people can't pay back their mortgages <laughs> and the housing market collapses. <laughs> Mari, the housing market is as good as gold. The housing market cannot possibly lose value ever because this world is full of things that go on into eternity, never losing value. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. So, you know, the, the Fed mandates a required reserve. Upside of it is it makes the banks more stable because, again, they have that cash on hand. Right. So, again, the question would be, well, then why isn't the required reserve 100%? Downside of it is that that cash they have to keep in the money bin can't be lent out because right. it has to be there. It's frozen. Um, and so... And America operates on credit. And yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, well, and, and even even in the, the non, you know, again, insanity that was leading up to 2008, like... Oh yeah. If if it was a hundred percent, you'd be incredible. You, me, anyone would be incredibly hard pressed to get a home loan. Oh yeah. Because the bank really can you only couldn't. they they can only give out loans on sure things. They just don't have that enough mm-hmm. capital to really incur any kind of risk. Uh, so, um, you know, a ten percent reserve frees up ninety percent of of the theoretical money mm-hmm. to be lent out. Again, where the sweet spot is, I think generally the Fed thinks 10%. Maybe it'd be better if it were a little higher, but again, you're contracting the the, uh, other bank's willingness to lend at that Mm -hmm. point. And if you've got a car note or uh, a mortgage or, you know, got your TV on a payment plan, (laughs) uh, those things might not happen if yeah. banks are less willing to give credit. 
So again, you know, there's your required reserve policy. And then of course the last major tool the Fed uses is communications, mm-hmm. which, you know, we, we had yeah, talked, we talked about, about with, um, you know, the, the forward guidance. Again, the mm-hmm. Fed can influence change in the economy just by talking about change in the economy. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. People are responsive. So one big, uh, I guess, bit of cognitive dissonance I kept finding in watching these videos. Uh, I, I will be honest, I was really worried that if I watched enough of them at a certain point, I was just going to become one of those people and stand outside the Chicago Fed protesting with signs that don't make sense, like yeah. down with capitalism. I Honestly, bro, I don't know what you're protesting <laughs> here. Uh, like, we... We can't just take a vote and get rid of capitalism. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what it's, we're based on. And yeah. I don't know if capitalism is to blame for, you know, your personal economic woes. Right. I'd imagine it's not. Yeah, most uh, likely not. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I tend to like to engage the protesters and just kind of be, well, you know, I've got a podcast here with a title that's pretty smarmy. Uh, so yeah, you can imagine what it's like in person. Uh, but no, so yeah, one of the biggest disconnects though, and and the, a big source of again, a lot of really ominous sounding conspiracy mm-hmm. music, and you know weird imagery of burning dollar bills falling from the sky it was it's I'm really gonna have to edit that music in after. yeah I, I i really just every <laughs> time um it was the the idea that the 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 fed is a private institution which it is mm-hmm. and that uh it is not beholden to congress to 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 the representatives of the people mm-hmm. people don't like that which which it, which it <laughs> Kind, I mean, it kind of is. Again, they have congressional mandates. Right. Uh, the uh, you know Fed uh, the mm-hmm. Fed chairman is nominated by the president. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not completely detached, right? But it is y- detached for a reason. Yeah, well, and th- that's the thing is that if the question is, does the Fed have to do what the president and Congress tell it to do? The answer is no. And when you're like, oh, that's horrible. Economists are like, no, that's amazing. Yes. That is perfect. And and the reason being that uh, what we've discovered through the, the, the failings in our own economy and economies around the world is that it's very important for there to be a separation between fiscal policy and those making fiscal policy mm-hmm. and monetary policy. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and think, Hey, aren't those the same thing? Let Dave tell you why you're wrong. Well, no, slide (laughs) slide on the little thing over for subscribe and keep listening to this podcast because we're we're gonna get you there, man. We're 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 gonna get you there. No, those are not the same thing. So, Mari, the difference between monetary and fiscal policy. Okay, so we talked a little bit about monetary policy already, and that's what the Fed um, engages in. Fiscal policy which um, comes from Congress and government and our elected officials, has to do with um, kind of what everybody likes to talk about as well. Taxes, 
<laughs> tax cuts, um, the national debt, spending, government spending, that's all separate from the Fed and for a good reason. And the people who make those decisions who are elected by their constituents who all have personal stake in whether certain industries get tax breaks or if um, people have to have an increase in taxes because they want new services in their town, county, state, whatever it is, that's all separate from monetary policy. <laughs> well, and, and, and again, necessarily so. Yes. If you, you know, it's... Um, because if, well, we talked about the Fed and coming to existence for the sake of intervening during crises. And you need something that's more stable and not beholden to a two or four year election cycle oh, yeah. to do that. Well, and it comes down to the, the, the big I word, which I don't think we will ever do an episode of this podcast without using this word, which is incentive. Because yes. economics is the study mm-hmm. of incentive. And uh, it's not the, the study of money. No. People tend to think that a lot as well. Well, again, we're talking every, about misconceptions. Everybody, <laughs> when I got the master's degree, everyone congratulated me and wanted to know what made me decide to want to be an accountant. There's <laughs> always like, that. But I didn't. That, that eye-narrowing silence of like, okay, you no, yeah, I don't want to be an accountant, and you know that because I didn't study accountancy. Mm-hmm. And people asked me why, as a former journalist. I wanted to now be a business person and study economics, and they were just so perplexed. And I said, but you know, economics is a study of human behavior and incentives, which is not that far of a leap from what I was doing on a much more micro level. (laughs) Well, it's it's the one true science in social sciences. Take that, sociology. Yeah, I don't respect you at all. I can just make stuff up, too. Uh, But... uh, yeah, I'm certain. Uh, I, I I think the podcast needs to start beefs, and right now I'm starting a beef with sociology. And I'm being very quiet because my minor is in sociology. Ah, ah. <laughs> but yeah, no, any sociologists out there want want, want to throw down, bring it on. No. Uh, but no, because so, I'm an economist as well. well <laughs> you, you you saw reason at a certain point. Uh, but no, so you know the the problem being that your your congressman. Uh, let's be fair, congressmen and women mm-hmm. uh, have an incentive to, and, and we're, we're going to think the best of them, mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever their failings, you know, in, in uh, you know, in the House, uh, in the Senate, whatever legislation they get through, whatever compromises they have to make, whatever scandals they mm-hmm. get into, let's assume just for now that Deep down, every one of them genuinely wants to help their constituents, right. which I don't think is that far from the truth. No. Uh, how well they do with that is where we get into a debate. Politics, but, yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah, they genuinely want to do what's best for you. And one of the easiest things a congressman can do for the people of their district is bringing money, you mm-hmm. know, federal money into the district to build a... You know, getting a contract for, uh, you know, de- uh, some sort of defense contract to build in the district, 
getting money allocated for infrastructure, getting mm-hmm. the famous South Carolina Teapot Museum built <laughs> in the district. It brings in money. It brings in jobs. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. But if Congress also controlled, and, and again, they do that through fiscal policy. They do mm-hmm. that by deciding how much revenue to take in through taxes, how much to push out through spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Congress also controlled the monetary policy, which is basically the policy revolving around the value of the dollar, mm-hmm. um, Congress will always choose to print more money. Yeah. Because the more paper money out there, the more cash uh, out there, the more they can spend on roads, bridges, police departments, and teapot museums uh, to help out the people of their district. Problem is, uh, as we discovered in the mid to late 70s, uh, they're act- by doing something like that over a consistent period of time, they're actually hurting you. They're hurting all of us mm-hmm. because they are in, inflating currency to a point at which it starts to lose its value. Right. And prices, you know, prices rise. Currency becomes less valuable. Your wage doesn't yeah. change. So your spending power goes down. Uh, and, and like, you know, people go, well, that happened. You know, the Fed existed while that happened. And what it was was throughout the late 60s, early 70s, the Fed chairman... Uh, and the the boards didn't feel like they should operate independently they they responded to the the pressures of the presidency mm-hmm. and congress until you get uh saint paul volcker uh, <laughs> saint of a patron saint of economics uh, one of, there there the, if there was a mount Ru- an economics mount rushmore uh, paul volcker would be on it who spent 10 years eyeball to eyeball with Congress, with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan saying, no, we're reigning in inflation. Mm-hmm. I don't care where interest rates go. I don't care what happens. You, Congress has told me I need to keep inflation under wraps. If I got to let interest rates rise to 25%, I will. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in our lifetimes and probably most of the lifetimes of the people listening to this we've never really experienced runaway inflation inflation mm-hmm. above three percent it's because of this man yeah uh and yes he was the fed chairman and um yeah it's you know he he serves as that kind of you know strong morality tale of why you need to separate monetary policy and fiscal policy. Because again, yeah, Congress will always want to print more money. Mm-hmm. And not because they want to tank the economy. You know, like I say, they want to buy nice things mm-hmm. for their constituents. They want to be reelected by yep. their constituents. <laughs> they, they want to keep their jobs. <laughs> but, you know, again, when it comes to monetary policy, policy around the value of the dollar. You, you can't put it in people's hands who have an incentive, basically an incentive to devalue the dollar. Well, also, I mean, to go back to the congressional mandates that we first were talking about, the Fed's job is to keep, what was it, prices stable? Yeah. Is that the... That's I mean, one, yeah. one of them, 
right? Yeah, max employment, stable prices, moderating long-term interest rates. And all of those things become much more volatile when you have them operating on a two, four-year cycle. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that in and of itself requires a much longer-term plan and separation from... Um, what we also love about our democracy that we get to turn over and reelect people and change our minds every couple of years if we don't like what's happening. No, and so, you know, in, in a country filled with checks and balances, um, separating out monetary and fiscal policy is basically a check and a balance. Mm-hmm. And that, again, yeah, you, you give the spending, the power of the purse to Congress to, to do with, you know, as, as the pressures from their constituencies dictate mm-hmm. but the value of the money in the purse yeah you don't let them have control over you have to give that to somebody completely separate from that process who is not who, who can sit there in the Volcker fashion and you know while again president reagan is saying you know you're you're fiddling while Rome burns mm-hmm. and Volker can just sit there and go, well, what are you going to do to me? And, you know, I'm, I'm here for, you know, my, the, the term of my appointment. Yeah. You can't get rid of me. Uh, I can't be pressured off. It's, you know, it's not a lifetime appointment, but it's sort of the same. Years, but, yeah. Uh, and, it, but the 14 years basically gives these guys the same position, you know, negotiation mm. position as a Supreme court justice. Right. Is like by the time I come up for renomination, you know, you're not going to be president anymore. Right. So I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I don't know why anyone would want to be the Fed chair for more than 14 <laughs> years. It's, like it's it, it, it's a rough job. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can't really see you know a three-term Fed chair. That's no. Uh, that that's a. That's a masochist right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, we you know we hammer this point because th- that came up in almost every anti-Fed article, anti-Fed video uh, that you know I I looked at and researched for this was this again cue the conspiratorial music. Congress does not have control over mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve and. I'm watching that going, yeah, good. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, the entire institution was created to be, I mean, I know it's a private bank, but I like to use, like, independent, because private has this connotation that it's like the other private yeah, banks. It's not, it's not Chase. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not J.P. And Morgan, it's not out it's, trying to make money like other banks are, you know, they have their own incentives and their own... Um, their business but the fed is independent and it needs to be independent because like i mean it just makes so much sense to me that (laughs) i don't understand why there's such this push that such a push that they should be beholden to elected officials well i mean you know it's it's again one of those things that you know at a, a surface glance passes muster should you know, the, the Fed is a uh, federally funded uh, right. institution. Uh, shouldn't it be beholden to, you know, 
someone who is an elected official because then by you know a, they're two degrees separated from the people right and in the u.s you know we're big on our government being of by and for the people and yes that's that like i say you look at that and go yeah why aren't right. they and but you think about it you go just a little deeper and, mm-hmm. and think well wait a minute like i say if, if they are beholden to the people i'd like more money hey fed print yeah. me out some more money and they if if they're made to do that they they will but now the the money they're printing out to give me is less valuable as mm-hmm. was the money i already had uh and so yeah it's uh, you know we you run into that problem with the u.s government in 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 a lot of sectors like again we're supposed to we're supposed to be a a a democratic lowercase d uh, (laughs) democratic uh society uh you know a a uh you know a a republic of elected representatives and and you know in that kind of vein you there's supposed to be a great deal of transparency in government but then how do you justify things like the intelligence services yeah and it's not to say uh, again we absolutely need the intelligence services and it's just this weird outlier in democratic society where we just all kind of accept that yes we want transparency in government but we kind of get there's some things they can't tell us right we want a you know accountability to elected officials in government but we should really get that there's some aspects Mm -hmm. like the fed has to be separate it, it has to be because you can't it doesn't work if it's not no. um and uh, you basically you're counting on congress to not be self-interested and i don't know if you can count on 535 i mean there i mean people like to not saying, be self-interested even if you're giving all of these politicians the benefit of the doubt i know a lot of people like to argue what incentivizes politicians but even if like you said we're saying they're looking out for the best interests of their constituents what their hometown their home state their home district what they want and what they need that that in and of itself is never going to work for an institution like the fed that needs to look at sometimes not even what is just best for the entire country but we're a global economy now yeah. whether or not you like it like yeah. <laughs> they really need to have this much broader perspective of what may be unpopular may be necessary yeah and, well and again like, you know the the purest fictional congressman like jefferson smith which is deep cuts for friends <laughs> or for fans of uh uh frank capra but uh yeah jeff smith would still screw over the value of the U.S. dollar. <laughs> Again, trying to build Boy Scout camps all across America. It'd be it'd be with the best of intentions mm-hmm. he does it, but uh, you know, again, they, there needs to be that counterbalance of of the Fed saying no, you, mm-hmm. we can't print more money because if our money goes below a certain value, you know, we're the global reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Every country holds dollars. People start dumping dollars, which will further inflate our currency and drive us into, I, I mean, Thunderdome. 
Yeah. Uh, like that's that's World that's the end. Germany. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wheelbarrows of money. <laughs> where the wheelbarrow is more valuable than the money inside yeah. of it. You yeah. Can. No. It's. Uh, and you know, it's one of those things that I mean, to you and me, sounds very simple. Like, why why can't people understand that? And then, of course, I watch these videos, and it's a bunch of people arguing the opposite, going, "I don't know why people can't understand this." But I do want to say because one of the things that made me excited when you told me about this podcast and why I was really excited to come here is because it didn't always seem that simple to me. Mm. I I mean, my background, I was a reporter. I I loved learning things all the time and I talked to people about things that I had no idea about all the time and experts and I learned every day so that I could tell stories better but I I learned this stuff like I was not an economist from like 18 years old on I just started I decided I didn't know this stuff yeah. and I wanted to learn it and I took the time to learn it and it is complicated, but it's not beyond people's scope. I mean, no. I think that's what a lot of people, like, that aids the conspiracy theorists is this elitist idea that, you know, it's just above your head. You don't really know what's going on. Nobody knows, like, really understands the financial crisis. But no, people do. And yeah. there are facts. And it's, it's a very laid out storyline. You just have to take a little bit of time to sit down and learn it or talk to somebody who knows it. And it... Really, everybody can learn this stuff and understand it. And, yeah, because it's complicated, but not that complicated. Again, I know I've explained it to yeah. people before who, again, no background in economics. Right. And it usually takes five, ten minutes of explaining. You can. It's only like two turns of the gears <laughs> in their head where they're like, oh, wait, yeah, no, that does make sense. Right, so, yeah. Like, yeah, it's not this, this that's like... That's why I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast and the we're talking about all this stuff because yeah it, it does seem very complicated but everyone can understand this it doesn't have to be something that's shrouded in secrecy <laughs> or not shrouded in secrecy yeah. <laughs> but people seem to think it I, I, again i you know right I, the I'm information's out there entertained by people who who confuse them not themselves not knowing mm-hmm. something with it being somehow secret like, right Especially I, in this day and age. Yeah, go, no, go it, on the internet it's for a, go- a few minutes. It's a Google search away. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's much more transparency than I think a lot of people think there is. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so... Uh, oh, I, I did want to... I got off topic there. Oh, no, no. Sorry. But <laughs> spe- speaking of the anti-fetters, yes. uh, just cover... You know, again, one of the things I like to hit on is, is the way... Uh, People are talking about this mm-hmm. this topic, and, and and you know, unfortunately, you really don't see a lot of pro Fed pushback. <laughs> There's <laughs> there there are a few anti Fed movements. Uh, again, we've kind of hit on some of the the fallacies that they've dealt with, but I've got this is from the the End the Fed website, and they define the Fed for us. And okay, we, 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 we I'll read this and we can kind of unpack it. Okay, uh, so the Federal Reserve. Uh, in quotes, the Fed, is the central bank of the United States of America that was created in 1913 by Congress. So they, they admit okay. Congress made it. Uh, so far, so good. It is a banking cartel. Hmm. And here, we'll get back to the word cartel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that has a government-granted monopoly on the creation of money and credit. 
Again, they're not wrong. Monopoly is a loaded term. Well, and the yeah, the monopoly basically. I know what they're saying. You, but... you can't create competing currency, uh, which right. at some point we'll we uh, will have an episode here about Bitcoin, which <laughs> oh man, I. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on that one. I can't wait to listen to that uh, episode. Because let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm an educated man, but I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around Bitcoin sometimes. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Fed literally loans, and they put this in quotes too, money, uh, and then in a parenthetical, Federal Reserve notes, which is money, uh, into yeah. existence. So they, they loan it into existence. Federal Reserve notes are paper promises backed by nothing of intrinsic value. False. That Well, <laughs> actually, to me, that sounds kind of like really? the same thing as a dollar. <laughs> that, if you want to get philosophical, <laughs> I guess. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Yes. Uh, I see your point. Basically, they're saying that this is a very long way of saying they're loaning out money. Mm-hmm. Uh it, and just trying to use a lot of loaded terms for it, uh, functioning uh, and uh, and they are only functioning as money because the government forces them on the public through legal tender laws. Bitcoin. They want Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. They, oh, oh let, like I say, let me tell you, the the end the Fed website is just a massive advertisement to buy silver and gold. Uh, I was telling you before, yeah. I was uh, showing my, my girlfriend who doesn't have a background in economics. I showed her one of the videos just to gauge how persuasive it was. Mm-hmm. And we got to the end of it and she's like, I think that was just an ad for gold. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Federal Reserve notes are referred to as dollars, but are not. Uh, the definition of a dollar, and I, I want to know where they got, like, they, they would have had to go to, like, the... Uh, Not uh, Webster. Well, the, but, like, the, <laughs> the Bureau of Weights and Measures oh. policy from 1840 to get this. The definition of a dollar is a weight of silver, 371 grains. Oh. To put it simply, the Fed is a group of banks running a national counterfeiting operation with the protection of the government. Wow. So, again, like I say, they do the kind of clever thing to always refer to the Fed as banks. And mm-hmm. the, the, the way they get it to pluralize is the, the Fed has branches. There's, yes. There's a Fed here. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in... Uh, Pretty much any major city. There, yeah, there's, there's a, regional Yeah, there's a, branches, a, a yes. regional branch. And they all feed up to the Central Federal Reserve in D.C. Mm-hmm. The you know heads of each regional bank are on the board with the, the chairman of the Fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I, but they want to turn it into a cartel. Yeah, which... Yeah, and... Yeah. Oh, I have so many things with it. Yeah, they, <laughs> And, and again, going with the... I, I don't know if I want to go with the, the, what, the path you just laid out, or back to the goals, or... It's, like, like I say, it's this... Really what they're saying is the Fed can print, can print and again, finger quotes, money. Uh-huh. Um, which, like I say, they, yeah... Right. It, I mean, we had, a, we had talked about this. Yes, the Fed, lo- they don't even loan it out. They sell a bond. Mm-hmm. 
which is not a loan. It's a market operation. Yeah, it's 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 not a loan. The bond has a value. Mm -hmm. They sell it or they buy it and, and, you know, make things happen that way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're not just printing money and throwing it out the window. Well, (laughs) what was the old example of, of that sort of distribution, which is the idea of if you were flying around in a helicopter, just throwing money out the side? To push money into the economy because it would distribute evenly okay. geographically, uh, and so everyone would get, you know, however yeah. much money they could scoop up off mm-hmm. the ground, and then they'd spend it. I mean, it, it, like I say, that, that that's an example they use in economic. I forget. I want to say that was a Greenspan, you know, uh, analogy that he was using at okay. some point. Uh, but, Sorry, I'm not yeah, recalling it. Yeah, but like I say, it, does, it doesn't work that way. Uh, and then again, you go into, they, they have, why should I care? And okay. they, this tell me. For as off the rails, like, again, the train jumped the tracks three <laughs> sentences into their definition. Well, really, like two. Uh, and, 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 you know, slammed into a hospital. Now things really get bad. So why should I care? Because you're being systematically robbed and enslaved. Huh? Wow. That's an awesome first sentence. Like, I wish I had one paper that I could have started (laughs) with, you're being systematically robbed and enslaved. Uh, I could just never find... Talk about paranoia. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Fed's counterfeiting causes the price of goods and services to rise, which requires... How can they keep using that term? Because they don't have... About legal currency. <laughs> there, there, there's there's no one fact-checking these guys. It's See the reporter of me coming up. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because, by the way, counterfeiting None has... None of this is accurate. Counterfeiting has a definition. Yeah. That's uh, not just a negative connotation. That's just incorrect. But, yeah, uh, uh, causes the price of goods and services to rise, which requires you to work harder in order to purchase them. Okay, well, one, you're ta- they're talking about inflation, mm-hmm. which, by the way, isn't the result of counterfeiting. But, what, okay, whatever. Uh, but also, you don't have to work harder. You, If inflation is rising, the you know, prices even though they're sticky and uh-huh. if you think that's a weird term listener <laughs> we'll, we'll get into sticky prices i it, it picture sticky prices it means what you think it means mm-hmm. um so it's such a technical yeah. elevated term uh so you know pri- yes it, as inflation rises eventually prices will rise to meet it mm-hmm. the proper response is not for, you shouldn't work harder like, because this is happening across the economy. You should go in and ask for a raise to match inflation. Mm-hmm. Like, and inflation in and of itself is not a terrible thing. Unexpected inflation yes. is the issue because, like you said, like in theory, inflation happening at a steady, consistent, predictable rate means that your wages will eventually adjust to meet that inflation. And, and it's not really that terrible or no. scary. Like, Well, in fact, infla- <laughs> inflation is really the only reason you can get credit. Because if money wasn't yeah. gradually losing value, 
In fact, if, if we were in the opposite, if we were in deflation, where money is actually gaining value by no just one would give it up. sitting there, yeah. then why in, in the world would a bank lend money? Uh, like Again, they can take a risk on you by giving you a mortgage at an interest rate, mm-hmm. uh, an interest rate usually calculated to compensate. Based on yeah, to expected com- inflation, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they, they could give that to you, but there's a risk. There's a risk you default. Mm-hmm. There's a risk you lose your job. There's a risk you drop dead and don't pay them back. If their money was gaining value just by sitting in their money bin, like mm-hmm. just put it in the put it in the vault and with each passing day because of deflation, our money is becoming more and more valuable. They'd never lend it out. Yeah. And so you need, again, you don't want a high rate, you don't want an unexpected shift, but you want a slow and steady rate of inflation because, again, it's what makes credit possible. It's mm-hmm. what, what's make, what makes lending possible because, yeah, if that money is, if they leave it in their money, or mm-hmm. if they leave the money in their vault with a 1% rate of inflation over, you know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're losing 1% of their right. value. So it's in their uh, bank's interest to lend it out at a 5% interest rate, mm-hmm. compensate for that 1% plus pocket a nice profit right. off of it. Again, a world without inflation is a world where, you know, you, you have to go back to saving up to buy a refrigerator. Yeah. Uh, oh, the car broke down. I guess I'm walking to work until I can save up the you know uh, five thousand dollars to go to the the lot and buy a used car because um, again no one's going to give you credit right why would they it makes no sense so uh yeah so sounds like a step back so we're being robbed and enslaved <laughs> uh inf- oh, right. inflation makes us work harder uh at in our slavery which again i thought slavery right. meant yeah, we you don't weren't get getting paid compensated yeah but whatever we'll, we'll move past that <laughs> i guess it doesn't count as compensation when it's something that has no intrinsic value. i suppose i suppose uh they might as well be giving up beanie babies uh, even with all the technological advances by the way for our younger listeners I'm not going to explain it. Google search Beanie Babies. It was a thing. I didn't buy into it, but a lot of people did. Uh, I have a garbage bag full, I'm pretty sure, somewhere. Uh, even with all the technological advances over the last century, you have to work just as hard or even harder to survive. The Fed is siphoning off the productivity that should have come from those technological advances. I don't really get how I the don't Fed understand. does that. Like... I'm not following this logic. Uh, uh, The reality is you are working overtime solely for the benefit of some bankers who the government gave the power to conjure money out of nothing. Uh, In addition, the Fed's... By the the way, uh, printing gold coins is conjuring money out of nothing, but... Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to talk about intrinsic value, gold... Well... I mean, I guess it's a limited resource, but still... Uh, In addition, the Fed's counterfeiting uh, finances the tools of the government oppression over you, the militarization of the police, the surveillance apparatus, and the endless wars. If you cherish truth, freedom, and justice, wait a minute, Mari, I cherish truth, freedom, and justice, uh, and want to leave behind a better world for your loved ones, 
then you must end the Fed. They really, I mean, they pulled out all the stuff. Oh, yeah. I no, mean, this, this is this straight is, This Orwellian. is bipartisanship at its best. I mean, they went extremes on both ends right. of the political spectrum. Oh, no. How could you argue with like this? Like, th- th- I think this this paragraph would make George Orwell paranoid. A free market where each individual has the freedom to choose what form of money to use rather than the one being forced upon them must be allowed to function in its place. So they want to go back to bartering. I guess. Uh, and, and again, this is... This isn't quite the Fed, but I, I I guess it's hard to talk about monetary policy without getting into the idea of money and what it is. Uh, I mean, to to I think to an economist, the the phrase that'll come up most is uh, a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. No, your money, you know, again, since it was taken off the gold standard in the seventies. Mm-hmm. No, your money does not have intrinsic value. Yes, if you want to get technical about it, it is a promissory note. Yeah. By I the mean, government, worth what it says it's worth on the, you know, if, if it's a dollar, it's worth a dollar. Now, some of the finer points of that that I think get missed is one, a dollar is worth a dollar because the government says it's right. worth a dollar. However, how much a dollar's worth is determined by the global market. Right. So, like, there is a free market there yes. at play. The actual valuation of the dollar the government can't control because no. it comes down to, again, the, the exchange of currencies across the globe. And again, well, they can control it a little by how much the, the Fed allows out or right. at any point in time. Um, so, yes, the, the dollar is, but the, the whole point of a dollar is not for it to necessarily have value. You don't want no. people saving up dollar, you know, just stuffing money in their mattress. No. You want them spending money or investing right. that money in Stimulating things. the economy. And a world without that because again even you know the going back to the ancient greeks who took melted down gold uh poured it into you know round ingots Mm -hmm. and stamped somebody's face on it that is them making money out of nothing Mm -hmm. gold itself um while it has a value sort of an arbitrary value too uh, it's a much less stable value yeah i mean well Depending on how much gold is available, it's a limited resource. Well, that, it, that could lead to unpredicted inflation. <laughs> well, the, the, the extreme example being if, if like, let's say we took our money back to a gold standard. Mm-hmm. Now our money's pegged to gold, which means the value of the money in your pocket fluctuates with the price of gold, which mm-hmm. can go up or down depending on how much gold there is. So if we do that and then a solid gold meteorite impacts the the you know in utah and all of a sudden there's a bunch (laughs) more gold in the economy the money in your pocket's worthless so Mm -hmm. like i think people talk about the gold standard as if it would solve all our problems and create this perfectly stable currency but all you got to do is look at the price of gold over time Mm -hmm. and it's not a it's not a horizontal line it's not perfectly stable it goes up it goes down Generally, you can 
draw a regression line and it's generally on an upswing, but just like the value of the dollar, it kind right. of fluctuates. Silver's the same way. I, I, I've got a buddy who, uh, due to the urgings of his uh, uh, brother, bought, some, bought a bunch of silver, uh, unfortunately, at a point when silver was at its peak. Oh, no. So he's, you know, uh, like now, you know, if he holds on to that for another 10, 20 years, he'll probably make out okay on mm-hmm. that. But just, just by buying precious metals doesn't guarantee you a, a phenomenal return no. on your investment. It, 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 it responds to market forces the same way the dollar does. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you, like I say, you look at this and it's a lot of... Again, I, I think really the, the these people. Well, one again, the end the Fed website is straight up just a an outlet for commercials for people to buy gold. It's they're trying to drive up the price. Of yeah. Gold. <laughs> then well, but then you look at like I mean you've got Lyndon Larouche who's yeah. you know, if you ever want to experience that just <laughs> go outside the chicago fed on a summer day and there'll be protesters like i say they're fun uh, if, especially it if is you... funny that that seems to be the prime location for so many things unrelated to even what the fed does yeah i don't <laughs> you know maybe it's the, the LaSalle street stations right there so maybe yeah. it's just easy commuting <laughs> uh but yeah, you've got LaRouche, and you had read a bit about of his material. I did, a little bit, and I mean, I did get a little stuck on, apparently he does not want exactly the gold standard, but it sounded a lot like the gold standard to me. Um, that's kind of where I started losing. Well, and... You know, losing that, him that, that's, that, that seems to be the case with with a lot of the the push for this is, you know, the you'll you'll ask one of the protesters, well, you know, so are 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 you pushing? They'll they'll be describing what they want, and it sounds very much like pegging our currency to a precious metal, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, so you want us back on the gold standard? Because again, there are there would be issues with that. Uh, living in a country where the Fed can't, you know, because we're beholden to right. the quantity and the price of gold, we can't in- intentionally inflate our currency when it would behoove us to do so. We can't pull it back in. We just kind of got to ride the market for gold. And, the, you know, they'll kind of stare at you and be like, well, no, we don't want the gold standard. And I'm like, okay, well, then but what? Exactly. Because if you don't want a floating exchange rate in a global economy where a lot of <laughs> the reason we can have such a huge national debt is because a lot of our debt isn't held in our own country. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you can't make such a radical change, first of all, like that in the snap of a finger because of the institutions that exist already. Like, let alone, even if you could, why would you? I mean, you're, it's isolationism. It's, yeah. I mean. Which, I don't know, maybe, maybe that, guess. maybe isolationism's coming back. Uh, it does seem to be a push for that. Got, got, got a, got a, we've, we've for- Are we going to talk about the wall? Oh. <laughs> I can't help myself. Only, it was too perfect. Only the economics of it. Uh, <laughs> I said, 
because especially because the the kind of thesis statement of this podcast is that both sides are wrong. Yes. I try, I try just, not to it's get. It's just so. I couldn't help it. Oh yeah. I was such well, a it's good one. Well, again, the, the the push for isolationism. The, the sad thing to me about it is we've learned these lessons. We learned these lessons back in the 1800s as mm-hmm. a country. The 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 pitfalls of isolationism, and that was before there was a globalized economy. Yeah. Um, now it just it seems trade to me, is a good thing. Yeah, it seems especially to me especially if you believe in the free market and capitalism. I don't understand how you can be opposed to well, trade. And, and I, or I, I think we'll pro be, barriers to trade. I think we'll be having an episode <laughs> one of these days unpacking what people define as capitalism. Because I, I, I. That's a good one. I'll watch people on the news talk about capitalism, and, and the thing that keeps rattling through my head is the. Inigo Montoya quote of you know, that, that word you keep using. I, I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, yeah, it just it, I, I don't know if if people really have a full concept of what the market is yeah. supposed to do and 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 what cap like again capitalism is a great thing. I don't I don't know a single economist who's mm-hmm. a, you know a, a communist. Although I'd love to meet one, that would be. <laughs> That's a conversation. Like, man. That would be interesting. How'd you get to this place? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, maybe, maybe we're just engineered this way, but economists tend to be capitalists because we can actually... I mean, supply and demand is the basis of economy. I, I mean, the, the whole theory, underlying theory of capitalism is... It's true. Like you yeah, can watch the market it. forces. You can watch a market go to equilibrium, and then you can hit it with a shock and watch it go back to equilibrium. Like it, it works. Mm-hmm. It, it genuinely does. There's some ifs and buts and nuance to that, but you know, generally speaking, I mean, I, that's another reason the Fed exists. Because I mean, without the Fed, we would eventually go back to equilibrium, but we try to avoid the impact of the shocks that happen our economy as no. much as possible to stabilize them but yeah i mean we we could survive i guess <laughs> without it but well no, it, it's just we'd go back to a point of volatility which mm-hmm. actually there there are arguments to be made that um we've kind of gotten uh some of our current financial woes are actually the result of um the stability that Volcker created, uh, that when, you know, people have this tendency to believe that because, you know, inflation has been reined in for the last mm-hmm. five years, that it will remain that way forever. And you run into moral hazard problems where when, when we've gotten so good, the Fed's gotten mm-hmm. so good at containing too big to fail financial danger (laughs) yeah that the people out in the financial institutions believe that no danger exists Mm -hmm. that there's there's yeah again we get to too big to fail that when the fed bails out failing financial institutions financial institutions start to go well there's there's a we'll take on a lot more risk we're we're working with a net yeah. So why not try a riskier move? Because the worst that happens is I fall off the tightrope, fall into the net. I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, I get to do this again. Uh, and so creating certainty and stability 
has created much more risk taking mm-hmm. in the economy. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm reading a, That's a good point. A fantastic book uh, about that right now. Who's Name is escaping me. Right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get it in the show notes. But uh, now that you brought that up, that kind of reminds me of something that I mentioned before we started the podcast that I kind of, I've been encountering recently. Um, this idea, I talk, I guess, I'm trying to think of how it most commonly comes up. People will tell me the Fed needs to raise interest rates faster and more because they're stalling the economy by not doing so is the best I can figure. And I try to ask them to explain what they mean by that because as far as I understand, you know, um, when interest rates are low, people are more likely to spend their money than save their money. So it stimulates the economy, which is why the Fed engaged in this policy following the Great Recession. Um, So when I push people and ask them, I mean, what do you mean? Why... Why do you feel we need to raise these interest rates so quickly? Are you worried about inflation? Because we really haven't been seeing that, mm-hmm. which, I, I mean, it's a valid concern, but I'm, they're starting to raise them very slowly, and I don't know why you're so worried. And they, some people, that's their point. But then a few people I've talked to, it's not inflation. And so then I'm like, what are you so concerned about? What is the Fed? And I... They say, because I have investments that aren't growing, <laughs> so the economy must not be doing well because the Fed is keeping interest rates low. And I think that kind of relates to what you are just talking about, this expectation that you have a 401k or you have these conservative investments that you expect a certain amount of return on and you're not seeing it. And you're upset, like the Fed owes you that money or something, when really what you did was make an investment and maybe it didn't pan out the way you expected, but... Well, and and it, that kind of goes to... It, it usually gets blamed on the the uh, tech or the, uh, the internet bubble at the yeah. late 90s, is the rate people were making money on investments. Like, even if you, if you got out early enough, Pets.com was a fantastic investment. <laughs> if you stayed in too long, you lost everything. But, uh, the, yeah, the, the rates at which people, the returns people were getting off mm-hmm. those investments. And, and, again, if you got lucky and were like, man, I love this website for ordering books. I'm going to put money in this Amazon.com. <laughs> Let me tell you. Ah, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I didn't. I was using Amazon.com like in '98 and didn't put money Oof. in it. I know. I uh, I always kick myself for that. But you know, the people got used to that mm-hmm. and like, yeah. What happens is I put money in the, you know, I throw a dart at a board, pick some stocks, throw money in the stock market, and it comes back at like fourteen percent. Right. And we've lost the concept of a reasonable rate of return. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, I think most common, and this, this is. And like that also, I want to point out the separation between the interest rates that the Fed is targeting versus the rate of return on a stock. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the, they're the, not the, they're core, like, completely detached. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, in, unless you are. Have, unless your 401k is entirely leveraged on what T bills, yeah, uh, some sort of bonds, but 
in that case too i mean you made the decision to choose this very conservative investment don't be surprised when you're only getting three percent back exactly um yeah it's not something the fed owes you for your retirement that's not why it exists (laughs) no and 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 but again, you yeah, you run into that that problem, and I think it comes down to again always trying to relate it to self interest, mm-hmm. and again occasionally people mixing up things like inflation and interest rates they're mm-hmm. not the same thing, or you know the interest rate on their savings account and the interest rate that that the financial institution right. is working with. Uh, these are all very they're they're separate yeah there's there's nuance in that uh they're connected yeah sort of but separate too uh yeah it's about as detailed (laughs) we're gonna go on that because again that's a whole nother show but uh and and then i i think you do just run into people who i i you know there's um a great line in the the movie The Big Short where Ryan Gosling is movie. talking about uh, it's right at the beginning. He's talking about uh, you know may, you, you know you you've got to have an opinion on the financial collapse. Uh, at the very least, you got to have a line you tell your friends to sound smart. Mm-hmm. I honestly think most people are pretty satisfied. Like all they need is to uh, they're they're going to watch CNBC long enough. For somebody to say something that they can then regurgitate at a party mm-hmm. and make them sound like they know what they're talking about in the economy. The problem is most people leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, yes, yeah, so interest rates go up because pork belly futures. <laughs> I know because, you know, uh, an old white guy on CNBC told me so. Yeah. And now they're going to base all their personal financial decisions <laughs> on that and that's not really a great way to go about no. it uh, again the the better way and this is entirely self-serving is to listen to podcasts like <laughs> this one uh and get uh, get get yourself educated on it yeah. um, i mean to an earlier point you made i think before we started the podcast as well um that guy who was on cnbc or whatever show you choose to watch Nine times out of ten is a talking head, not an economist, not a qualified person to be speaking on the matter they are giving their opinion. They well, have an interesting opinion, but probably not a well-versed or educated opinion. No, it's, again, one of the reasons that this started the <laughs> podcast we were talking about is I you know, recall enough times watching cable news, and, and again, pick one. Yeah. Pick, which, pick whichever one you don't like. Uh, and, and but because it's just as true of the one you do like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have a, a discussion of, you know, the the market uh, or the, the stock market or, uh, you know, the financial collapse. And you'll have, you know, three, four. Uh, the one case I w- watched, they had eight talking heads on. It was like a the opening sequence <laughs> to the Brady Bunch. Um uh, and they're all talking, and I'm reading the, the, you know, it's got their name underneath them and then who, what they are, you know, a, a political consultant, you know, uh, staffer for congressman, whoever. Yeah. Not one of them was an economist. No. I, and, and again, 
Mari pointed out, the reason why is we'd kill that conversation in a hurry. Like, it, it, we'd give it's this... It's not a, so controversial. Yeah, we'd give this <laughs> long, boring, nonpartisan answer to their question. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, half the viewers have switched over to, you know, WWE. Because yeah. it's much more interesting. Although I'd love for there to be an economics-themed wrestler in the WWE. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm pictu- that would look like. I'm picturing like. like John Cena dressed as Adam Smith. Oh my god! And, and and he he brings down the invisible hand. Uh, that's to to me. <laughs> you know, it's it's not by itself not a great way to teach economics, but it's a start. Get people exposed. Suddenly, rest- I mean, yeah. If you can get John Cena to do something like that, you'll wrestling get fans attention. are like, "Who's this Adam Smith guy? I want to know more about him." <laughs> And, I, and, and you and I can be like, hey, we got a thousand page long book for you to read. Yeah. That's also a reason why people probably aren't so well versed on these topics. Well, They're again, all in books. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and let me tell you, as big of a fan of Smith and the Wealth of Nations and as I, as I am, I, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant thinker, you know, arguably the founder of economics. Um he had no concept of brevity again what wealth of nations is a thousand pages long you could kill somebody with a copy of that book Mm -hmm. uh it is uh, he's a talker Uh, and uh yeah he goes on and granted it's all brilliant but yeah even even i being engaged (laughs) in the subject will get halfway through a chapter and just be like oh god i i get it break yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch John Cena dressed as Adam Smith beating up somebody. It's gonna be great. You start uh, doodling in the corners of the oh, pages, yeah. your own comic. No, so it's again, you know, I think the, the 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 problem people have sometimes with it is it's the the it's peop- not sexy. The, it's not juicy. The, it's or it's, the the people writing it are again most economic, most academic economic writings are very dry. Mm-hmm. It's it's even if you're you know what they're talking about, even if you're interested in the subject, sometimes it's it's a hill to get over. Of like you know, I I've read a, a papers on the trend you know economic trends in uh blockbuster movies and granted the the formula that this uh economist was putting forward is very interesting but it was like a 40 page paper and i don't need most of this background i don't know what you're talking about half the time uh you know i, I they never really do teach us brevity no because i mean that's the thing about economics, especially academic economics, is you always have to have a lot of support for, you talk about theories of why things happen, but economists aren't satisfied with that. That's what separates them from some of the other <laughs> subject matter. They want to have the, the data, the facts, and the what? things to back up what they're talking about, so it takes a long time to dig into that. Yeah. No, I, I, I want... A regression equation with at least uh, like ninety percent adjusted R squared. That yeah, I can, I can put up there and be like. Otherwise, don't even talk to yeah, me. Cause... Stop. Our, 
And by the way, if, if the listeners don't know what that means, it's okay. Don't or it's nerd talk. Yeah, uh, that's not even. We're, like, we ourselves are falling victim to what we're criticizing yeah. other economists. See, it's, of doing. I mean, it's that easy. That's just how it happens. So, I, I, Mari, any last thoughts on the uh, the Fed? Um, Stuff we didn't cover. Uh, yeah, I mean, we even got into the you know actual theories on currency. Which... Yeah, no, I enjoyed our conversation. I just hope, even if you didn't follow all of it, don't give up. <laughs> and the Fed is really important, and they're looking out for the interests of all of us, no matter what people say. By the way, <laughs> believe the, the, in the Fed. Th- this episode brought to you by the Federal. <laughs> no, no, I, we, no we, we don't have sponsors just, yet. But yeah, listen, if the Fed wanted to kick this podcast some money, like, I'm not going to say no. Uh, we already recorded this episode. Yeah, I don't care if it has no intrinsic value. I'll take it. Uh, any, anything pop out at you doing research for this that you think people might be interested in taking a look at? Um. Well, I personally. I really like the Center for Economic Research Policy. They do get a little bit political, um, but if you are not well-versed in politics, they are really great at writing short Mm. articles that lay out current topical issues. Um, Like I said, sometimes they have political leanings that maybe you won't really appreciate, depending on which way you sway, but um, they do a pretty good job of referencing Bureau of Labor Statistics and real things that, um, and they do a good job of being more brief than a lot of sources. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so, you know, hey, take, take that as you can get. By the way. Also, I have no connection to them either. <laughs> uh, I did just remember the book I was trying to think of. It's called Foolproof by Greg Ipp. Uh, okay. A fantastic book on the concepts of moral hazard, uh, which I'm sure we'll do an episode on at some point. But basically, the idea that the more the, the safer you make something, the more mm-hmm. risky people are willing to behave within that that system. So yeah. it's a uh, I've well, been enjoying watch that. Watch the Big Short. Too, oh if yeah, you haven't. fantastic <laughs> movie, fantastic book. Yeah. Uh, Michael Lewis uh, uh, did a did a, a phenomenal job of explaining the underpinnings of the financial crisis and i was a little nervous to watch the movie especially with so many big hollywood stars Mm. that maybe it might miss the point or but i think it it turned out pretty pretty good especially if you didn't understand a lot of what happened with the financial crisis (laughs) (laughs) all right mari well thanks for being on no problem thanks uh, for having me like i say you're welcome if uh, you find another topic you're interested in talking about uh yeah always welcome to come on and talk about it Wonderful. Thank you. All right. I'm Dave Yost, and uh, this has been Okay, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Thanks for listening.